Good morning and welcome to eTalmud 2.0. Today we're going to be learning 15a in Chagiga, Tesvav Amad Aleph. However, we're going to start at the beginning of the bottom of 14b, Hadalarim Abayz. And we are in the middle of discussing questions that were asked of Benzoma. If you recall, Benzoma was one of the sages in the story of the four sages that went into Pardes, into the sublime orchard. And Benzoma was one of them. And Benzoma, um, Benzoma, we are told, became mentally unstable after after that experience or during that experience. But now we're gonna. But Benzoma had so much scholarship under his belt, and now we're, we are discussing some of that scholarship. The first question that we're going to be discussing today, um, at first glance, seems to be um, a bit silly. Or a bit, um, you know, like, you know, what what type of question is this? But what's unbelievable and what's fascinating is that this question is, um, this Gemara, this question, this discussion is used today to discuss some of the most important, some of the most important technological innovations in, um, you know, in, in our time from a halachic perspective. So we'll explain what that means. Sha'aluas Benzoma. So they asked Benzoma. If you have a virgin who became pregnant, what is her halachic status regarding marrying a Kohen Gadol, a high priest? The Kohen Gadol, there's only one at a time, one, one of, the entire, of the entire Jewish people, one of all of the Kohanim is the high priest who um, has a special role in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, is not allowed to marry somebody that is not a virgin. And we ask the question, what happens if a virgin becomes pregnant, but she's a virgin? So do we say that because she becomes pregnant, she's no longer a virgin? Or do we say, no, she's, uh, she's a virgin, even though she is pregnant? And what exact, let's, let's, let's expand on this question. Are we concerned for what Shmuel told us? Because Shmuel said, now we're on 15a, now we're on Tezvav Amad Aleph. I am able to have intercourse with a virgin many times without any sort of blood coming. In other words, he was able to, he knew how to have intercourse without breaking the hymen. Um, so do we say that perhaps that's what happened with this virgin, that in fact she did engage in intercourse and that's how she became pregnant. And although her hymen is still intact, she is not, she is not actually a virgin. Or do we say that Shmuel was unique in his ability to do this, but in re- or is it his knowledge of the ability to do this? But um, but in reality, that's not something we have to worry about, and and um, and that she actually is a virgin. Um, so Amr Luhu, so Benzoma replied to Shmuel Shmuel's case is too uncommon. Really, no one knows how to do that. So rather, we consider herself a virgin. Then how did she become pregnant? Then rather, we suspect that she um, became pregnant in a in a um, bathtub because she went into a bathtub after a man did. The man uh, there had the, the man had um, ejaculated into the bathtub, and now that bath now that semen went into her. And she became pregnant, but certainly never had intercourse, and therefore we still can consider her a virgin. Now, this all sounds to be very sensational and um, and pretty wild, 
But in reality, the reality is, is that this is a very important discussion when it comes to artificial insemination. Artificial insemination, the different forms of it, um, has many halachic, many halachic, um, many halachic, implications and we learn about those halakhic implications from this very case so you may suggest that perhaps the the bathtub case is impossible to happen but even if that is the case it gives us a case it gives us case law to further be able to analyze artificial insemination in 2020 so that's why this takes on an extreme importance but now we're going to ask, just even at that point, even the Gemara is going to ask, but didn't Shmuel say, didn't Shmuel say that any seminal emission, emission that does not shoot like an arrow, meaning that, that doesn't, um, you know, come out, come out strongly, that cannot make somebody pregnant. And here, this is a semen that just has been, that just has been lying in this bathtub. So we answer, No, originally this had came out like an arrow. So now it still has the ability to make somebody pregnant. Okay, so that's the end of that story. And again, the commentaries go to town on this story, on this on this ruling of Benzoma. And the halachic deciders of today draw some very important conclusions from this discussion. Um, and... Um, it's one that some of you that are listening may have heard me discuss before as we've spoken about artificial insemination. Okay. Now we're going to say a story about Benzoma. Tan Rabbanu, the rabbi's taught, Maeser Rebishu ben Hanania. There is a story with Rabbi Yeshu ben Hanania, Shahaya Omid al-Gav Mala Baharabayas. He was standing upon a step on the Temple Mount. V'ra'ahu Benzoma v'lo amal milfanav. And Benzoma saw him, saw Rabbi Yeshua, who was an elder sage, and Benzoma did not stand up before him, although he should have, out of respect to the elder sage. Amar lo, so Yeshua said to him, Benzoma, where are you come from? Where are you coming from? And where are you going, Benzoma? In other words, you seem lost in thought. What are you thinking about? Amar lo, Benzoma said to him, Sofa hayisi bein maim halyonim lamaim hadachtonim. I was looking, or I was analyzing the space between the upper waters and the lower waters. In other words, the upper and lower waters are described in the story of creation. I was thinking about that. And what, what, what did I come out with? And I came out with that there's only three fingers breadth between the upper waters and the lower waters. As the verse says, And the breath of God hovered upon the surface of the waters. Um, so it seems as if there's that the upper water is hovering on the surface of the lower waters. And what does hovering mean? The word hover infers like a, like a dove that hovers above her young but does not touch them. And we know that when a, when a dove hovers above her young, it's a three fingers breadth from her young. Later on, Rabbi Shua told his students, Adain ben Zoma mibachotz. Ben Zoma is still on the outside, meaning he still has not yet entered the, you know, the, the ability to properly analyze and discuss this extremely deep part of the Torah, the story of creation. Now, where, where did Ben Zoma go wrong? Michti, let us see. When the verse in the creation story says that the breath of God was hovering upon the surface of the water, what 
When was that in the story of creation? Bayom Harishon. That was on the first day. Yet it was only on the second day that the separation between the waters, the upper waters and the lower waters took place. As the verse says, Right? That's when God said, let there be a firmament that will separate between the water and the water, the upper waters and the lower waters. And that did not happen until the second day. So Ben Zoma was wrong to have used a verse from the first day to describe the separation of waters and the space because the waters had not yet been separated. Okay, so now we're going to ask, Vikama, and what is in fact the distance between the upper waters and the lower waters? Vikama, and how much? Amr of Achabar Yaakov, Kemalom Nima. Rav Achabar Yaakov said, it's a hair's breadth, it's very small. Rabbanan Amri, Kigura de Gamla. And the rabbis say it's like this place of one plank, the space between one plank of a bridge and another plank of the bridge. It's like two garments, one spread upon the other, and that little, little, little bit of space between the two garments that you can't even see. And say it's like one, it's like two cups, one stuck inside the other. Again, even more, even a smaller space. That's the space between the upper waters and the lower waters. Obviously, there's great depth. To this discussion, but we will just talk about it on a more superficial. We will just translate and have this superficial understanding. Okay, now we're going to talk about some a story. We're going to talk about Acher. We were introduced to Acher last learning when we talked about the four sages that went into Pardes, that went into the orchard, the the mystical orchard, and encountered godly uh, a godliness in a way they had never encountered before and each stage had a reaction and Acher whose previous name was Elisha ben Avuya but now called Acher which means the other um, and we'll explain more why he we are told um, his um, his theology became perverted and he strayed after after um, false gods. Let's let's just put it like that. That's what ended up happening to him. So we're going to discuss Acher. We're going to discuss his experience in Pardes, in this orchard. And we're then going to discuss the rest of his life. Acher Kitzetz Benetios. We said Acher chopped down saplings in the orchard. And what we explained this to mean was that he adopted false theological beliefs. Allah HaKas of Omer. And the verse in Ecclesiastes, the verse in Koheles, um, describes Acher's experience. The verse says, Let not your mouth bring guilt upon your flesh. So in other words, the verse says, Let not your mouth bring guilt upon your flesh. In other words, Acher, he allowed his mouth to bring guilt upon him. Um, and the rest of that verse says, Do not say before the angel that it was an error. So we'll, we'll understand what that means. And then the next part of the verse is, Why should God be angered by your speech? And destroy the work of your hand. So all of this happens with Acher. His speech brings him guilt upon his flesh, and he says before the angel that it was an error. So let's see what this means. Maihi, what was it that happened? What was the story that happened when he entered the orchard? Why did everything, why why, why did everything go wrong for him? Chaza mitatron. He saw the angel mitatron. This Yahavale Rishusa who was given permission to sit. Angels stand, but he was given permission to sit. In order to record the merits of the Jewish people. Omar, at that point, Acher said, Gemira, we have a tradition. Dilamaila, that above in the heavens, Lohave Lo Yeshiva, there's no sitting, Velo Tacharus, and there's no competition, Velo Oref, 
um, and you don't see the back, there's no one has backs of a head below Epoi, and there's no um, wariness. So he's questioning that we have this tradition, and yet I'm seeing that Mitachon is sitting now. Is it perhaps possible that there are two different authorities, that there's God, and then there's the angel Metatron, and that they are two divine authorities, and Metatron is not subject to the, to the will of God? So at that point, so that is when everything changed for Acher. At that point, Acher falsely concluded that there must be two different divinities, two different gods, two different higher powers. And um, and uh, I guess what, the, the way we understand this is, is that he was exposed to so much that was so beyond his comprehension at this point that this was the conclusion he came to. Now, Afkula Metatron, they did take Metatron out, Umachiu Shisen Pulsi Denura, and inflicted upon him 60 blows of fire. And Amrulay, and they said to him, My time, Aki Chazisa, lo kam to me And they did say to him, Why did you not stand before Acher when you saw him? So, in order not to have given him this false impression that led him to this terrible conclusion. Um, and, however, that was the conclusion that Acher came to, which also was a terrible conclusion. So although he may have seen something, he also could have logically came out with a different explanation. And the fact that he came out with that conclusion, that there are two different divinities, basically, um, ruined, at the very moment of experiencing extreme godliness, that was the end of his. Uh, that was the end of him. Um, the end of his... Of his um, that was the end of his connection to God, to, to, to godliness. And let's like, explain more. And Metatron was actually given permission to erase the merits of Acher from the book. And a heavenly voice emerged and said, Return wayward sons, except for Acher. In other words, Acher, your chances are over. You're no longer going to... Um, you know, we're not. We would, even if even if you would put in the effort and do teshuva and repent for the conclusion that you came to, we would not even accept it. That seems to be the point here. That seems to be what's going on here. Um, now, I, I would just want to point out that everything we've been talking about so far is expanded on in some of the most important Jewish wor- works of Jewish philosophy, um, especially the idea of the two divinities to discuss um, this dualism that Acher came to concluded with. Um, what did that look like? What is the ramifications for our own Jewish, Jewish theology and philosophy? The Rambam Maimonides discusses this at length. Okay, let's go further though in just the story. So Omar, so once Acher heard the heavenly voice that says, every, you know, return wayward sons except for Acher, he concluded, Omar, he said to himself, he said, since he had been banished from the world to come, from that world, which is the world to come, let him go out and just enjoy all the pleasures of this world without any sort of discretion. So Acher strayed to the ways of badness, to the ways of bad society. He went out and he found a zona, he found a prostitute and asked her for her services. She said to him, But aren't you the great sage, Elisha ben Avuya? At that moment, Akar Puglami Mesha. So that moment, Acher uprooted a radish from its roots, Bishabas An Shabbos, which is a capital crime, Vihavle, and he gave it to her. 
to show um, Amra, and she said, Acharhu, this must be someone else. And that name has stuck, this must be someone else. Acher, this is another different person. Okay, now we're going to talk about, it seems that even though Acher strayed, he still learned and taught Torah. Um, specifically to the great sage Rabbi Meir, who was his student before he had strayed and continued to be his student even after he had strayed. So now we're going to talk about some stories with that. Okay. So um, let's talk about that. Shol Acher is Rabbi Meir Acher Acher once asked Rabbi Meir a question after Acher had already strayed to the ways of bad society. Amr Le Acher said to him, What is the meaning of the verse in Ecclesiastes and Kohelis that says, God has made one as well as the other. What is this a reference to? Amar Lo Ramer says, Everything that God created, he created something corresponding to it. Meaning he created one thing and then something similar on a smaller scale. Bara harim bara gabaos, God created mountains and God created hills. Bara yamim bara naharos, God created the seas and God created rivers. And so on and so forth. Amar Lo Rabbi Acher said to Rabbi Mer, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Cholo, Amarkach. That is not how, Rabbi Mer, that's not how your teacher, Rabbi Akiva, expounded this verse. Ella, this is how he did. Barat Sadiqim, Barat Rishayim. God created righteous people and God created wicked people. So it was more of the opposites that God creates. Baragan Eden, Baragahanim. God created the Garden of Eden and God created hell. And each and every person has two potential portions waiting for them. One in the Garden of Eden and one in Gehenna, one in hell. Zaha Tzadik. If a Tzadik person, if a righteous person merits, he'll take his portion and his friend's portion in the Garden of Eden. Because if you do good, you generally will have an impact on others and therefore you'll get a double portion in the Garden of Eden. Nishayev Arasha, if a bad person or a wicked person um, is guilty, he takes his portion and his friend's portion in Gehenim, in hell, because again, when you do bad, you will, you generally influence others, so you get a double portion in hell. Omar of Mesharshia said, my Kra'a, what is the source of this concept in the Torah? Gabet Tzadikim Ksiv, so it's as follows, in regard to the righteous, it says, this is a verse in Isaiah. Therefore, they will inherit a double portion in their land. Um, and then the verse continues, and eternal gladness will be theirs. And when it comes to the wicked people, it says the verse in Jeremiah, and devastate them with double disaster. Okay, another story of uh, another discussion of Acher and his student Rabbi Meir. Shaal Acher, so Rabbi Meir Acher Acher asked Rabbi Meir after he had strayed the following question: My dixiv, what does it mean in the verse in Job? Lo ya archena zahav uzechalchisus murasa klifaz. Gold and glass cannot approximate it, nor can its exchange be in golden articles. What does that mean? Omar lo, Rabbi Meir replied to him. This is a reference to the matters, to, to, to words of Torah, to Torah knowledge that are as difficult to acquire as gold vessels and fine gold vessels. And are easy to lose as glass vessels, which if you just let them slip, they shatter. That is not how what Rabbi Akiva, your teacher, said. Ella, rather, Rabbi Akiva's interpretation of this verse is as follows. 
That just as there is a remedy for gold vessels and glass vessels, even if they break, so too is that true of a Torah scholar, that even if they break, if a Torah scholar breaks, they can still return to their previous um, to their previous state. Even if he sours, there's a remedy for him. They can still repent. So of course, so you too, you were a great Torah scholar, return to your previous state. Do repent. Repent. said to him, no, I had already heard from behind the partition. Return wayward sons, except for Acher. I'm now going to share one more story. We're going to start the story and see, and we'll continue it um, in our next podcast. We're going to start a story about Rabbi Meir and Acher. It happened with Acher. Who was riding on a horse on Shabbos, which of course is not allowed on Shabbos. So Hayyur Rabbi Meir Mahalecha Kharov Lil Motormipiv and Rabbi Meir was walking behind him in order to learn Torah from his mouth. Omar Lo. So Acher said to him, Meir, Khazor Lacharecha, Meir, go back. Shikvar Shiarti Bikve Susi, because I've already calculated through the footsteps of my horse, Adhkan Dhum Shabbos that we have reached the boundary of the Shabbos. You're only allowed to walk a certain amount on Shabbos outside of civilized um, outside of a civilized area. You're only allowed to walk a certain amount. And Acher had realized that they had now reached that boundary um, outside of the city. Amar Lo, Sir said to him, Well, you should also go back. You should return as well. You should return to your earlier Torah observance. Amar Lo, Acher said to him, Didn't I already tell you? that I've already heard from behind the partition. Return, O wayward sons, except for Acher. Rabbi Meir wasn't willing to give up just yet, and he grabbed Acher and he threw him into the base magish, into the study hall. And Acher said to a young boy, uh, Say for me the verse that you're learning. Amr Lo, the boy said, "Ain Shalom, Amar Hashem Lerishayim. There is no peace." God said to the wicked, "Aylai lebeikinishnachritim." Ramir brought him into a different synagogue. Amr Leilianuka and Acher said to the child, to a child there, "Psokli psukach, tell me the verse that you're learning." Amr Lo, he said to him, "Kiim tekab, kiim tekabzi baneser v'tarbi lach boris." Again, this is a verse from Jeremiah. Even if you were to wash it with soap and lime, nichtam avonech lefanai. Your iniquity remains stained before me. Um, We'll stop here. We'll continue this story in our next podcast. Have a great day.